Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. April 5th, 1994, 25 years ago today, uh, singer-songwriter Kurt Cobain died. And I I remember that. I remember how big it was. I remember what a big deal Nirvana was. Uh, I was uh, almost 20 years old at the time. Not necessarily a big Nirvana fan, but I mean, they they were everywhere. And it was easy to see then how, how they had changed music. And it's certainly even more obvious now looking back. So it, it was really big news. It was obviously very tragic and shocking news. It was on and on and on. We're in. F- I was going to. I don't know what that was. Let me play this. Let me just try that one more time. Uh, this from ABC News 25 years ago today. Here's how the news was reported. Kurt Cobain was the lead singer of the group Nirvana. Their albums were bestsellers, their songs filled with images of despair and violence. One lyric, the sun is gone, but I have a light, the day is done, but I'm having fun. And then this morning, his body found at home, another casualty of success. Here's ABC's Tom Foreman. As lead singer, songwriter, and guitar player for Nirvana, Kurt Cobain defined the rough rock sound and scruffy look known as grunge. With songs like Lithium and Heart-Shaped Box, his band was sitting on top of the rock music world. This morning, an electrician went to Cobain's suburban Seattle home to do some work, looked in a window over the garage, and saw a body. It was obvious this man is dead from a shotgun wound to the head. Now, there was a suicide note left inside the, the house. Recently, it was clear Cobain was in trouble. Last month in Rome, he fell into a drug and alcohol-induced coma. Days ago, his band dropped out of a major American tour. It was rumored they were breaking up. Today, fans reacted. When you reach that kind of fame, and you're still miserable, there's something wrong. Many people over 30 probably never heard of Kurt Cobain, but for younger fans, his music captured the spirit of the difficult transition from youth to maturity. His songs were full of despair and violent images. He was only 27. Tom Foreman, ABC News, Los Angeles. Yes, he was way too young and gone way too soon, and obviously he was dealing with a lot of demons. Uh, and, and again, I think it's important to point out that if anybody's dealing with, with those kinds of issues, having those kinds of thoughts or knows somebody who is, there is help available through HealthLink, Alberta Health Services at 811. Joining us to talk a bit more about how Kurt Cobain changed music, how that day changed music. Very pleased to welcome the program. Uh, Alan Cross, he is a music writer, broadcaster, historian. He is the host of the Ongoing History of New Music and writes at a ajournalofmusicalthings.com. Alan, thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Welcome to the program. Oh, you're welcome. It's, uh, it's a big anniversary. Well, it is. You know, and it's interesting and you, and you hear in that news clip how, you know, maybe people under 30 wouldn't be as familiar with, with Kurt Cobain and Nirvana. But of course, all those fans back then, they're well into their, their 40s and 50s now. Yeah, it was their JFK moment. Uh, I remember being on the radio that afternoon and being the person to break the news. This was pre-internet, pre-social media, pre-email. So people had begun to hear rumors earlier in the day and were glued to their radios that day to try and find out exactly what was going on. I mean, it was shocking, even though there had been stories about, you know, whatever it was Kurt Kurt was battling. 
it was just it, it didn't seem true. It, it it couldn't be true, right? It was it was the kind of thing that people really didn't want to believe had actually happened. Well, there it, we knew that Kurt was in trouble. We knew about the suicide attempt in Rome the month before. We knew about all the crazy health problems he had. We knew about the weird marriage he had with Courtney Love. We knew about all the things he was saying in the press about not wanting to be famous and so on. But that was all pretty abstract. It was pretty, you know, theoretical. Nobody actually ever thought that he would do what he did. And when we heard the news, now he died on April the 5th, 1994, we think. Uh, that's the best the coroner could ever tell. But we didn't hear the news until April the 8th. So he had been lying in that greenhouse above the garage for about three days. And uh, even then, there was there was a period of time he left a rehab facility on April the 1st, which was Good Friday. And he went missing for five, six, seven days. And even then, we didn't know anything about it because, again, this was such a uh, the pre-internet days. And uh, we only found out everything that happened to him after he was committed to that rehab facility until after he died. Yeah, just recently, there was a rapper named Mac Miller who passed away, and it was kind of eerie because he had once you know, had a line about him hoping not to join the 27 Club. Uh, and, and it's, you know, another music star passed too soon. But there, there seems to be something about that number. And, I mean, Kurt Cobain is, you know, on that, that very morbid and tragic list of, of artists who have died basically at or very close to, to that age. Amy Winehouse, Janis Joplin, yeah. Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison. Yeah, that's that 27 Club. It's just a, a weird sort of coincidence that it, it happened that way. But uh, Kurt didn't really, he was conflicted. He he did definitely want to be famous. But when he got to be famous, it wasn't what he wanted it to be. It was a bit too much pressure for him. And he was uh, like a reluctant rock star after a while. He didn't like what his life had become, what it was doing to him, how it made him feel. Um, and he felt that he had somehow sold out by being successful. I think he might have thought, that, okay, I'm going to be as famous as Joey Ramone, but I didn't think I was going to be this famous. And that's when things started freaking him out, when he was in Vanity Fair, the cover of Rolling Stone, and um, on TV all the time, and, you know, this reluctant spokesman of a generation, all that sort of stuff. So um, he he was he was probably the, the, a tremendously unhappy and clinically depressed human that... Um, when you mix with his other health problems, which have to do with his stomach and his terrible drug addictions, um, you know, in retrospect, you're looking back on it and you go, yeah, you know, I guess it was inevitable. Yeah, sadly so. Um, in, in terms of the impact he had, though, on why he, he rocketed to fame the way he did, it, it, you know, you can't plan for how that's going to go, but it just speaks to the impact they had at the time and, and how it really, I mean, it sparked the, the whole grunge movement, and it really came to define that, that, that period in time, didn't it? Well, there was a huge demographic and social change at the time. We were coming out of a terrible recession at the beginning of the 1990s. Uh, the baby boomers' influence in music was waning. We had uh, endured a, a, an entire decade of, uh, of hair metal and classic rock. And now Generation X was, was coming of age. They were angry. They were scared. They were looking for somebody who was going to articulate how they felt. And people who weren't around, I mean, this happened very, very, very quickly. Uh, there, were, there was a sense in about 1990 that there was a sea change happening in music. 
by the time we get to the summer of 1991, there was a sense that, yeah, something's happening out there. Something interesting is going on with music, and uh, it, 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 there's, there's change in the air. Then we have the release of three albums rather rapidly. Uh, there was uh, Pearl Jam's 10 album, followed by Nevermind from Nirvana, followed by uh, Bad Motorfinger from um, um, Soundgarden in October. And those three records formed the, the trilogy of what became the grunge sound for the next number of years. When Nirvana released Nevermind on September the 24th of 1991, nobody had any faith in the record. It was just going to be another rock record. And they, they shipped about 45,000 copies to stores, and they thought that if it ever sold 100,000 copies, it would, it would be fine. It would be a considered, uh, considered to be a success. Mm -hmm. But within a month, it was selling 300,000 copies a week. Yeah. And then by January, it was the number one album in the U.S., and it knocked Michael Jackson's bad off the top of the charts. That's how quickly music turned. In a period of four months, we went from you know Motley Crue and and uh, classic rock to everything grunge, everything alternative, and Nirvana was leading the way. It was, yeah. I, that was my grade twelve year, ninety one, ninety two, and and I just I remember it clearly, right? And even when I hear those songs, I mean, it still takes me back to them. But it just it, it seemed to come out of nowhere, and then it was it was everywhere, right? It, yeah. it, it was there was no avoiding it. What's interesting though, Alan, is you look around today. I mean, alternative radio stations still play Nirvana, but I mean, it's you know, it's almost thirty years since that album came out. It, it's now classic rock. I mean, you, you hear it on classic rock stations. I mean, it's it's it still very you know, prominent <laughs> today, isn't it? Yeah, you know, to everything there is a season. What used to be cutting edge alternative rock is now today's classic rock. I mean, let's put it in perspective. If you are twenty years old today, uh, it was <laughs> Nirvana was five years in the past for you when you were born. Um, so let's say that you were born, you were twenty years old in nineteen ninety one. Well, that means uh, to today's person. Uh, uh, Nirvana's re the release of Nevermind is about as as um, relevant to you as something that was released in 1968 or 1969. Yeah. So there's there's been a huge huge gap. Um, I mean, time has passed, but the but the album has been around and Nirvana has been around as, as a band, basically with one and a half albums. You know, there's all of Nevermind and about half of Enduro. Um, they have been a force in music uh, for for more than a quarter of a century now, and um, they have whether the the Generation Xers who who brought this 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 sort of music and, and this album into the fore. Uh, hate to tell you, kids, but uh, you're 25 years older than when that happened. Yeah, well, it's a story about the passing of time, too. You're absolutely right, Alan. Uh, more at journalofmusicalthings.com, including your own reflections on that day and some of the audio from uh, your own broadcast as, as that news was breaking. I always appreciate the insight, Alan. Thanks so much for joining us here today. You're very welcome. All right, take care. Uh, that is uh, music writer, broadcaster, historian, Alan Cross. Again, journalofmusicalthings.com. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.